quick straw poll of everyone that's here today. What do you do, and this is a real life dilemma, what do you do um, when you go to unpack your nativity set? And we can do another straw poll later about when it's proper to unpack your Christmas stuff and decorate. What do you do when you unpack your nativity set and you can't find the baby Jesus? Asking for a friend. Like, do you A, try to find, buy, or make a new baby Jesus? Or do you B, like, get rid of the whole set and start over? Um, you see, both options seem to be in play for us because I think we intuit how central the Christ child is in the story of Christmas, right? This, to the season, to this hinge of history, of the past and the future of the world for us humans and for our salvation, we wouldn't go on without the baby Jesus in the manger. Most of us, at least those gathered today to worship God this morning, will agree that without Jesus, we no longer have a reason for the season. With that same level of importance, I challenge you to go home to your nativity sets if you have one. I challenge you if you don't have one to get one. And find for me another key character that I think often gets left out, probably got left out in every single one of your set when you open it up this year, and that would be the Holy Spirit. Why isn't the Holy Spirit there? Like, I always think when I, when, whether it's high art or kind of more um, liturgical art or useful craft art, I always think of this British theologian who is so British here, uh, Sarah Coakley, when she talks about this game that when you encounter depictions of God and art, always try to find the pigeon or hunt the pigeon, which is always the Holy Spirit, and it's normally like this tag on in the corner. I think if she was American, it, it would kind of be like putting a bird on it, you know, is, is her thing. This kind of add-on or side note or addendum, or maybe it just gets left out altogether. Like also, it's like when you go caroling with your friends, uh, scour your caroling song sheets or your hymnals with, in the Christmas section and try to find references to the Holy Spirit in our Christmas worship. Aside from that great line in that Wesleyan hymn, by thine own eternal spirit rule in all our hearts above, like Charles Wesley is, is pretty solid uh, for that. But aside from that, it's pretty scarce. It, you, you guys are probably all going to be like Googling for the rest of this sermon to try to prove me wrong, and that's okay, but we can delay that. I'm glad to be proven wrong, especially for this. But I, I think some of the reasons for this, I think, I think uh, you know, the, the Spirit has, has been called the shy member of the Trinity, and maybe that's true, uh, that, that we're, we're not as likely to... to um, to pay attention to or depict or, or worship this kind of introverted uh, member who extroverts everyone else and points and, and makes large and, and profound and evident uh, everyone else, including us, but mostly the Father and the Son. Or maybe the Trinity doesn't, or maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't get in there because she's like the mom who's always taking family photos and never gets in any for herself. Do you, do you know that? Is that a phenomenon in your family? Like it, but if we're good readers of Scripture, 
with a keen eye and a, and a really tuned ear for how the gospel writers, particularly Luke, tells the good news, we find that the Holy Spirit is all over these early pages, not waiting to be poured out upon Jesus' death or flare up at Pentecost, but, but early and often. No less than six times in the first four chapters, the Spirit enters the scene. I think about John. This is chapter 1, verse 15 and 15 to 17. The angel previews John the Baptist to Zechariah and says, He will be, this is about John, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipping with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Perhaps this Holy Spirit acquaintance, even before he was born, is why John the Baptist kind of uh, looks often a lot like that pointing, introverted uh, Holy Spirit. Like John the Baptist, in, in, in art at least, one of his best attributes was always just his index finger, right? Do, do you, any of you know this Eisenheim altarpiece? Yeah, you can zoom in, see it even more. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's his whole role is there, is just to point, to point to Jesus, to prepare a people ready for the coming of their God. John prepares the way because the Spirit is always pointing to the Son and the Holy Spirit is upon John even before he's born. Or how about Mary? Flip forward just a few verses to Mary's encounter also with a divine messenger. She's told, rejoice! <laughs> right. <laughs> before she's given some pretty impossible plans to fulfill. Like, isn't that a great way to tell someone really crazy hard news? So you, you, like, kind of bury the lead and lead with rejoice, and then you're going to bear God's child, <laughs> right? Upon her rebuttal about the possibility of the naturalness of this, she's met with, this is from the angel, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, overwhelm you like a, like a cloud, like a wing. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Nothing is impossible for God because of the Holy Spirit. Or how about Elizabeth, John's mom, the very next encounter has Mary visiting Elizabeth and John, baby fetus John, jumping in her womb. It says uh, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she says, as soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Put a little pin in that later, that relationship between the Holy Spirit and joy. Um, that's in verse 41 and 44. Or how about Zechariah, John's dad? It, the, the main note about him was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and he goes forth proclaiming the deliverance and the salvation from enemies and towards peace. Zechariah's message is formed by the Holy Spirit. This is all in chapter 1, by the way. Then in chapter 2, old Simeon and my man Sim's namesake is getting a lot of play in this Advent season, and I love it. It says, he, Simeon, this old guy waiting in the courts, he was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. When I told one of my Anglican priest friends about, about Simeon's name at his birth, he was quick to the draw with the words from the Nunc Dementis that he would be a light to lighten, right? This is Holy Spirit work, a light to lighten the nations, bring peace to Israel. So we don't even have to get to the dramatic Pentecost scene in Acts 2, and I'll remind you that Acts was kind of chapter 2 of Luke, written by the same guy. You don't even have to get to Pentecost and flaming tongues of fire and people being understood as they speak languages that they don't even necessarily know how to speak or understand words from people that they shouldn't understand. We don't even have to wait that long to find this spirit-laden beginning to Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4. And these are the same words that Gary read from Isaiah 61's text today. The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim release to captives, liberation for prisoners, proclaim jubilee, the year of the Lord's good favor and a day of vindication, to comfort those who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown instead of ashes and joy instead of mourning, a mantle of praise where there was discouragement. By now, it shouldn't surprise us in the least that the Spirit is at work and has been at work the whole time. That the story of Jesus' birth is a thoroughly Pentecostal affair in its own right. And rather than just being the beginning of the Spirit's work, is really a sign and a seal in the arrival of a slow train coming that's been happening throughout the entire Scripture uh, story into the world. Man, I wish there was a place in our nativity scenes to remind us of this powerful, present spirit that's been at work and is doing the work of bringing salvation and healing to the world even now. Like that's not starting now. And it wasn't even starting then. That was starting for forever that God was going to use his spirit to bring renewal. As I was considering how the spirit showed up and continues to show up as we live in this intentional season of waiting and hope and advent, I couldn't help but think about how the Spirit has a knack for bringing about joy. I think, I think they're, they're so tied together. We spent so much of our summer doing kind of a deep dive in how it's possible to be joyful amidst struggle and suffering. We were reading Philippians, 
And, and I remember Dewey Williams, when he was here, especially uh, talking from Acts 16 and Paul and Silas singing in prison, singing these hymns of salvation, even as they were enslaved and in, imprisoned. In, in, in and he, he said that your joy does not have to be dependent upon your circumstances, that God is the source and the impetus and the completion of your joy. That's why Paul, most of his letters, he calls himself an apostle. <laughs> in this letter, he calls himself a prisoner because he's in jail. He writes to the holy ones in Philippi, and he speaks in overflowing, repetitive, joyful terms. He says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice until you overflow with joy. And he only requests of them that they have, that they make complete, abundant, whole his joy by following Christ to the point of obedience and suffering and emptying, suffering even to death, death on a cross, because that's how Jesus lived and that's how we're called to be. This is the sort of joy that waits and hopes for redemption in vindication, for salvation, even though it would take a miracle. And because of the presence of God's Spirit, that miracle can be feasted upon even now. A couple weeks ago, when my friend Kurt was here when we were in Georgia, he talked about this idea of prolepsis, how you participate in and act as if something is already true because you trust in God so much to bring it about. And because of Christ, this age, this newness, this new creation is already broken in upon us. I think that's exactly how we're to know joy. We're feasting upon joy even ahead of time. We've experienced the first fruits even before the harvest has been taken in. So this harkens to the Ascent Psalm that we that Gary also read earlier, Psalm 126, and the Psalms of Ascent were these corporate uh, Israel songs that they would sing as they go up to to Jerusalem. You always go up to worship in Jerusalem, and they remembered in this song together. They remembered when laughter and joy were easy to come by, and maybe that's where someone here is this morning where you're just sitting there and, and you just want to taste that joy again because you remember what it felt like when it was easy maybe when you were a kid maybe when you were in college maybe when your relationships were good or when your job was good you remember when it came easy and it didn't come easy right now it seems impossible right now so they sang this song together much like we sing these songs together even when you're not feeling these songs, you're singing them together, you're joining your, your words and thereby joining your lives together as you lean into this joy that might not exist in it, you trust that it's coming. They talk also about when they, they took God's pleasure and presence for granted. They said, we told the nations, and these are people opposed to them, outside of them, we told the nations that he has done great things for us. This is when it's easy to, to share the good news because that good news tastes so good. And even, and they also sing in this song, and 
we don't write worship songs like this anymore, right? Where you have all these amazingly beautiful, joyful thoughts, and then they said, but, but we also know what it feels like to sow sorrowful seeds and water them with our tears. Even as we hope for this harvest, even as we trust that we'll, we'll reap them in joy, this is the same space, the same imagination that Luke is writing into, that many of us are experiencing. We go about our daily business distantly hoping for a change, hoping for a miracle with not a whole lot of expectation that God can even do it. <laughs> we, we, we lean that way, but we don't really know how that's going to happen. We don't know how those around us who are suffering from pain and anxiety and depression will ever get healing and relief. It just doesn't seem possible, even as we want it. We don't know how those in our neighborhood who are stuck in these recurring cycles of poverty and addiction and violence will ever have a way out. That loop seems so sure, so locked in. That our families that are being torn apart because of either unwise choices or unjust laws, we don't know how that's going to get fixed. It just doesn't seem like there's going to be a break. We don't know how those who abuse power will ever be held accountable. It just doesn't seem like it's coming, even as we want it. When we, we hope for it, but it doesn't seem like we can hope it into being. Will there ever be a reckoning? For all these things we wait and we hope for rebuilding and restoration and renewal. To, to use kind of a, a scriptural um, formula, you've heard it said <laughs> that history is a long arc that slowly bends towards justice. And then here's the other part of that formula. But I say to you, <laughs> that I'm not sure this kind of joy that we read in these scriptures, I'm not really sure that that's true. I'm not sure that history is this long, smooth arc that slowly bends towards justice. I think it's jagged, and it's often this sad cardiograph <laughs> going up and down with lots of detours and diversions and trends and ticks, which needs to be bent. It doesn't just bend on its own. It needs to be bent by an eruption of the Holy Spirit. It needs an intervention of God. It needs light from on high to cast out darkness in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in each and every one of our hearts. That's what this Advent season is about. That's what we're hoping for. Not that things will just get a little better, but that God will break in. That's what the gospel is, the good news that is not our, that our work will culminate in our salvation, but that when we in this world were dead in our transgressions and when we were hopeless, right then God intervened. We pray that the Spirit breathes new life. If you've heard the gospel that says you were bad so you need God, that's not, that's not really the gospel. The gospel is you were dead and you needed a new life. <laughs> and that the Spirit is the agent that does that. When your heart was cold and dead and stone, the Spirit makes it flesh and beats and brings new life. God intervenes. That that stump that was chopped down, that's the beautiful thing about our Isaiah 61 imagery. That's why we're the oak church. 
who's from oaks of righteousness planted for the display of God's splendor. Go back and read Isaiah in the first couple of chapters, and you find that because of Israel's unfaith, faithlessness, they were chopped down. <laughs> and when you have a st- if you have stumps in your yard, that's not good news. You're probably not going to get a whole lot of shade anytime soon from a stump. But our hope is not that that would slowly grow back, but that a shoot would come up, new life, a shoot that probably needs to be nurtured, but which might eventually be something big and strong and solid and ultimately would display God's splendor, God's beauty, God's might. We don't sit back and wait for something normal and natural to happen. No, John wasn't supposed to be born to Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's another scripture trope. They were old. It shouldn't have happened. And apart from the Spirit's creativity, Jesus certainly doesn't show up in Mary's blessed womb any more than the seeds sown with tears bring about a harvest. It's a miracle every single time. Unless God breathes on those seeds, unless those tears become some sort of baptism or anointing or participation, they don't grow. That's all of that sorrow and groaning towards redemption plus the Spirit equaling life and growth and new creation. And that's what we're hoping for this Advent season. I'm reminded on all this Spirit talk of this section in Wendell Berry's book, Jaber Crow, when the narrator reflects an insight into this Spirit. I think this is a slide, Marcus. It says, and I knew that the Spirit had gone forth to shape the world and make it live. I knew it was still alive in it. I just had no doubt. I could see that I lived in the created world and it was still being created. I would be a part of it forever. There was no escape. The Spirit that made it was in it, shaping it and reshaping it, sometimes lying at rest sometimes standing up and shaking itself like a muddy horse and letting the pieces fly. I pray that you'll go forth this morning with new eyes to see just the way the Spirit was at work in the nativity story and the way that the Spirit continues to be at work in this world and in your lives. And that this logic of the Spirit is that it it hymns us in behind and before and that it goes ahead of us. We're never going to outpace the Spirit. We're never going to be responsible for dragging the Spirit along for the ride. But instead, we should wake up every morning enlivened and anticipatory of the ways that we might meet the Spirit already at work in the world and that we might get caught up in this movement of the Spirit. We might actually live and move and have our being in this going and missional God. Galatians 4 speaks of this sending God. It's a, uh, Paul says, uh, when the time was right, it was God who sent God's Son. And then a couple of verses later, it says, God also sent, sent God's Spirit, that we might be swept up and become sons and daughters, crying, Abba, Father. And then, by the Spirit, we get to be active parts of this nativity too, like sons and daughters, so that that little baby Jesus who became Mary's son, it, we, we become in that little baby Jesus, and we also become God's sons and daughters. 
John Vitfleet writes, the same God who sent the Spirit to answer the waiting people of Israel is at work restoring creation, healing drooping spirits, and giving us Advent hope. The Spirit makes us participants in the Christian drama. The Spirit makes us participants in the Christian drama. This is like living nativity scene for us, like without the costumes, right? Like we go out of here and we are participants in this Christian drama by the Spirit. Shaping the world, the Spirit. Recreating. The Spirit is bringing a harvest of joy from seed sown in sorrow. Spirit is filling and anointing for gospeling to the poor, binding the broken, proclaiming release to captives, liberation for prisoners, calling out jubilee in comfort and joy and praise. The Spirit is sometimes mellow and lying at rest, but other times letting the pieces fly, showing up and showing off in messy, surprising, and I'll go ahead and say joyful ways. That's good news. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your spirit that gives us joy despite circumstances. Lord, when things are good, send your spirit to remind us that they're good because they're a gift from you. The only one who can be called good. Lord, when things are bad, send your spirit to lift our heads, to, to remind us that you're faithful and to remind us of the story that we're called into in which you are victorious and in which you vindicate those who love you. Lord, send your spirit, and it's absurd to say send your spirit because you've sent it and you're sending it, and it's around us and it's calling us, and where it blows and where it comes from and goes, we don't even know. Catch us up in that spirit. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.